Welcome to the Weatherbiz Private Bank Creating the Future podcast series. I'm the Chief Executive, Roger Weatherby. On the 1st of October 2019, we held our second Creating the Future conference. The speakers invited us to consider some of the world's most challenging issues. For more information about Creating the Future, please follow the links in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this talk and thank you for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, post-tea break. It's good. Uh, Our final chapter of the afternoon, and it's called Truth and Action. Sounding increasingly like a Spider-Man movie. I like it. Ladies and gentlemen, will you join me in um, hopefully agreeing um, what a knockout job our speakers so far this afternoon have done. I'm very, very grateful to them for their energy and their time. And at the risk of just mildly embarrassing someone, very briefly, um, when Roger Weatherby architected Creating the Future, uh, he teamed up with a phenomenal, if I can say, casting director. uh, Casting directors in the form of Mike Dixon and Shuna Kennedy, who through a combination of guile, charm, and uh, and sheer brilliance, have assembled our speakers today. And we're very grateful to them. Mike and Shuna sitting back there. Thank you. And their work through our generous gene is hugely worth looking at. Now, um, a friend of mine runs something called the Rebel Book Club, a gathering every month and a brilliant book. And he pinged me a few months ago and said, you have to know about Donut Economics, written by our next speaker. She's an economist by training, 20 years experience working for Oxfam and the UN. She's currently visiting fellow of environmental, uh, visiting fellow of the Environmental Change Institute at Oxford University. And in 2017, she published said book, Donut Economics, to talk about an economic model that balances between essential human needs and planetary boundaries. Here at Creating the Future, please welcome Kate Rayworth. Hi. So we're here to create the future, but would we even know If we got the future that we wanted, would we know how to measure what that looked like? Well, if we turn to 20th century economics, no chance. The tools from last century do not tell us what we need to know about the future. A decade ago, President Sarkozy of France brought together a realm of the world's top economists, including Nobel Prize winners, Joseph Stiglitz and Marcia Sen, to look at the indicators we use to measure the macroeconomic health of our economies and our societies. And Stiglitz and Sen came to a rather stark conclusion. Those attempting to guide the economy and our societies are like pilots trying to steer without a reliable compass. What if we could put a reliable compass in the hands of today's leaders, business leaders, politicians, so that we could actually steer to somewhere we want to go. Well, I want to offer you today a compass that I think does give us the chance to steer towards a 21st century that we actually want to leave to our children and our descendants and to be proud of having to help create. And that compass, silly though it sounds, looks like a donut. I first drew this picture in 2012 I've been amazed by the traction it's had internationally because I think there is a huge thirst and hunger for such a compass. So let me introduce you to this one donut that actually does turn out to be good for us. Imagine humanity's use of Earth's resources radiating out from the middle of that picture. 
So the hole in the middle of the donut is a place where people are left falling short on the essentials of life. It's where people don't have the food, the water, healthcare, housing, energy, political voice, income, jobs, that every person has a claim to. I can say that because I crowdsource those 12 social dimensions from the world's governments. They are the social priorities set out in the Sustainable Development Goals, which means all the world's governments have already agreed that all the world's people have a claim to meeting these essential needs. So leave nobody in the donuts hole. But, and this is a very 21st century but, as we use Earth's resources collectively, we cannot overshoot that outer circle, the ecological ceiling, because there we put so much pressure on the life-supporting systems of this unique, delicately balanced living planet that we begin to kick our planetary home out of balance. And here's where we cause climate breakdown. And we acidify the oceans. We create a hole in the ozone layer, catastrophic levels of species loss. And these nine dimensions around the outside are known as the nine planetary boundaries, first identified by Earth system scientists only a decade ago. They believe these are the nine critical life-supporting systems that make this planet the home sweet home to humanity that she's been for the last 11,000 years. That's the Holocene of a stable climate and fertile soils and bountiful biodiversity and fresh water. We'd be crazy to kick ourselves out of this space. But of course, that's exactly what I'm on the verge of doing. If you put these two together, you get a compass that aims to meet the needs of all people within the means of the planet. And I think that is what 21st century progress will look like. But if that's where we want to be, this is where we are. It's not easy to look at because all that red shows you the extent to which we're falling short on the essentials of life. This little red wedge here on food goes 11% of the way to the center of the circle because 11% of people don't have enough food to eat every day. On water, since we've been talking about water, 9% of people don't have access to clean water. One person in three worldwide doesn't have access to what we would call a toilet. But on every one of those social dimensions, there are people living in countries rich and poor. Some of them are sleeping in doorways outside this, this street. Countries rich and poor who are falling short on the essentials of life. But at the same time, we have already overshot at least four of these planetary boundaries. On climate breakdown, that ceiling is set at 350 parts a million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We're way over 415. But also on excessive fertilizer use that washes out of the soil into lakes and rivers and kills off aquatic life. On biodiversity loss, on conversion of land surface for human use. We're way out of balance. And I'd say that this picture, for we... The people in these early days of the 21st century, this is our selfie. We're the first generation to see this image of ourselves, and as the scientists tell us, the last with a chance of really turning that around. Let me bring it home in some recent headlines. According to the IPCC, we have less than a decade to halve global carbon emissions if we're to stay below 1.5 degrees. Since 1970, the year I was born, I'll save you the maths, I'm 48. Since 1970, the population of all animals other than humans has fallen by 60%. We've got microplastics in human bodies the world over, children breathing toxic air, we've got land degradation, water shortages, as we've heard in this room, phosphorus pollution, ocean acidification to hit levels not seen in 14 million years. And the richest 
1% of people own half of the world's wealth. It's a bit full on for a Tuesday afternoon. Let me give you some good news. I love this headline from NASA. Hole in Earth's ozone layer finally closing up because humans decided to do something about it. And that's the point. We can do something about all of this. This is a global picture. Let me take it down for you to a national level. Brilliant researchers at Leeds University took the donut concept and scaled it down for 150 countries. In this diagram, you want to fill the central circle in blue without shooting over that green outer ring. So Zambia over here, hardly putting any pressure on the planet, but falling massively short on meeting its people's needs. China, which you heard about from James, falling short on people's needs, already overshooting their pressure on the planet. And perhaps his work with the Supreme Court and lawyers there will do something to start bringing that back in balance. And then the UK. We're not even meeting everybody's needs. We're one of the richest countries in the world, but we know that we have extreme levels of inequality here that leave people going to food banks, facing unemployment, and levels of inequality that are undermining the fabric of our society. And yet we are massively overshooting our impact on the planet. Let's be clear, this isn't about carbon emissions and resources used on this land. It's about all the emissions embedded in our clothes, our phones, these computers, the lights, the carpets that were all made elsewhere that underpin our lives here. Put that in a grid of 150 countries, and the sweet spot is up in that top corner where we meet the needs of all people within the means of the planet. And nobody's anywhere close. And to me, this picture says we are all developing countries now. The countries we usually call developing, like Bangladesh and India, they need to turn the corner towards that sweet spot far faster, far more smartly than any country before them has ever done, and it's unprecedented. But look where we are, in the top right. With all of Europe and the US and Japan and Canada and Australia, we need to meet everybody's needs for the first time while coming massively back within those planetary boundaries. And that's an unprecedented journey of development, too. And then there's the world's emerging economies. We've got Russia, China, South Africa that need for the first time not only to meet everybody's needs, but while coming back within planetary boundaries. To me, this diagram tells us every country in the world needs a healthy dose of humility and extraordinary ambition. So how can we get there? For me, at the heart of 21st century economics, lies two principles that can turn around this divisive and degenerative economic system that we, as a generation, have inherited. We need to be regenerative and distributive by design. Let me tell you what I mean. This is the linear degenerative industrial system we inherited. We take Earth's materials, make them into stuff we want, use it for a while, often only once, single-use plastics, and then throw it away. And this take, make, use, lose. That's what's been pushing us over planetary boundaries and running down the sources of life on our planet. This is what it looks like when we take again and again and again from Earth's sources. And what it looks like when we throw our waste again and again and again into Earth's sinks, plastics into lakes and oceans, electronic waste into the neighbourhoods of the world's poorest people. And I sincerely believe that your children and mine, when they are your age and my age, will say to us, did you really know about that? Did you see that happening? Because they will look at it for what it is, which we can all see. It is disgusting. What we do to our planet, what we do to each other, we have to transform this. And the way to do it is to bend those arrows around 
so that we create a cyclical or circular economy where resources are never used up. As Lara said, there's no such thing as waste in nature. We need to use resources again and again, far more carefully, far more collectively, like loop, far more slowly and smartly so that we come to live within the cycles of the living world. I'll give you two examples of enterprises that are starting to do this. In the slums of Nairobi, one of those places where there were no toilets, now there are, thanks to Sanergy, who have set up micro-enterprises throughout the community. So for the first time, people can use a toilet with toilet paper, soap, clean water, privacy. That brings dignity, but it also brings health. It massively reduces incidence of cholera. The waste is collected every day, and it's turned back into fertilizer and applied to the fields. Now, at a technical level, they're closing the nutrient loop. But at a community level, this is creating health, community, and well-being. At another end of the technological scale, a Swedish clothing company called Houdini, who makes sportswear, either from wool and tensile, which are organic fibers, they say, bring it back, they turn it in, put it in a bin, turn it into compost, they grew some vegetables on top, and they served it to their customers and said, you're eating your former ski wear. Or they make it from recycled nylon and recycled polyester, always closing that loop so their materials are used again and again. And they've produced the world's first corporate report using the donut to look at every one of their fibres and the labour conditions and the environmental conditions because they pushed themselves to be a planet, to be a company that they could say, we are living within the means of our planet. So regenerative and distributed by design. But that's only half the story. We need a global economy that is far more distributive by design. And by this, I mean we need to share the value that's created in our enterprises and our countries far more equitably with everybody who co-creates it. Here, I think there is an enormous opportunity because the technologies of the 20th century, when we think about any industrial process it takes, energy, a means of production, a means of communication, and a store of knowledge. And in the 20th century, these technologies were centralised by design. Think oil rig for energy. Think Fordist factory for production. Think switchboard, where literally every phone call went through an operator switchboard, and patents and copyrights for knowledge. 21st century, thanks to new technologies, thanks to ingenious new designs, is offering us a completely different opportunity. Technologies that want to be distributed by design. Energy, think solar panels dotted across the landscape of London and in this village in India. Production, you can have a 3D printer on your desktop. You can print buildings, ceramics, metals, plastics. Communications, you've all got a node of this communications network in your hand, as does this woman in a village in Tanzania. And in terms of intellectual property, we've got the rise, thanks to lawyers smartly creating property rights for open source, Creative Commons licensing. We have barely begun to put together the possibilities of what this can unleash. I profoundly believe that combining these in a just and ecologically smart way, is going to be at the centre of thriving humanity for 9, 10 billion people on this planet. So, regenerative and distributive by design. As Ollie said, my book came out two and a half years ago, and I've spent the last two and a half years talking about these ideas, and I've been thrilled that there's such traction. But there comes a point where you don't want to talk anymore, you want to do it. So all these last two years I've been listening who doesn't just want to talk about this? Who actually wants to put this into practice? And that's what I'm really excited that I'm now focusing my time on. Just six weeks ago, I launched Donut Economics Action Lab in a small makerspace in Oxford. We're a small team, but we plan to work with many people worldwide. And our name is very intentional. It's about action, and it's a lab because we don't yet know how to make this future. And we are experimenting and learning as we go. 
The four communities of practice that I cannot resist but work with because they come again and again wanting to put these ideas into practice are teachers, business, cities, and communities. So, thank goodness the world's climate leaders just got together last week. I'm not talking about New York. I'm talking about on the streets of the world. The leaders have shown up, and they're younger than all of us. But what do they get taught when they go back to school on a Monday morning? So many of these students are still learning 20th century economics, which frankly ignores the planet. It calls it an externality and focuses on endless growth as if that was a sufficient goal for 21st century. So few things thrill me more than when in my Twitter inbox, I find a tweet like this from a teacher, A-level geography teacher, Hannah, who says on the first day of teaching A-level geography, she says, I'm going to push aside the syllabus and start with a donut. Why? Because I want the, teachers to, the, the students to see the bigger picture beyond the specification and get them excited about their role in the world as geographers. Lucky, lucky students for having teachers who really care about them having a 21st century vision. Teachers around the world, though, have been using this. These pictures are from Turkey, from Kazakhstan, from China, from New York. So I'm working with people who are making teaching resources to create ready-to-go lessons that you can teach about donut economics and the ideas that it leads to in your classes, whether your students are 5, 15, or indeed university PhDs. What about business? Companies have come ever since the donut concept was published and said, so what would it mean for us to say that we're a donut company? What would we have to do to do that? And I've had fascinating conversations with companies from three-person cooperatives to Fortune 500 companies. To dive into that, well, that's another story. But we are working together with the best companies to create resources that say this is what it would mean to hold yourself to account as a company against the donut, and this is what it would look like to start putting these principles into action to say the way we do business is actually helping bring humanity into the donut. And these are some of the companies that I've worked with or have told me they've used the donut at their own board meetings to re-strategize and reconfigure the future of their, who they want to be. What about cities? I've just come back from Philadelphia and Portland because I'm thrilled to be working with the C40, which is an amazing network of around 90 megacities worldwide whose mayors have committed to making their city compatible with living in a world that does not warm beyond 1.5 degrees. And that's huge ambition. And the C40 told me we want to use the donut with our most ambitious cities to look deeper into how we transform the way people are living there. We've started inviting these ambitious cities to ask a very 21st century question. How can our city be a home to thriving people in this thriving place in the ecosystem of where this city belongs while respecting the well-being of all people, the people who made our clothes and our food and our electronics and the health of the whole planet, all the resources that we used to give us a thriving life? That is a tough question that cities have not addressed till now. But we've used the donut to turn it into a tool. I've just come back from these workshops and we've been doing it already, this photographs from Portland, from Philadelphia, from Amsterdam. It was amazing seeing city officials working together with civic leaders from their cities, having conversations that they've needed to have actually for decades, but never had the chance to see all of their issues represented in one framework and to start coming up with the kind of ambitious transformation that frankly we all have to go for. So cities and then communities. I gave my book a ridiculous name. I mean, the day I drew a diagram that called the donut and then people started coming up to you, oh, oh, you're the donut lady, I realized I'd lost any sense of gravitas in my career. But that 
unexpected benefit of that is that when you call something donut economics, nobody's afraid to pick it up. And community groups around the world have contacted me and said, we're using the donut as a starting point for reimagining how we want to live here. They've made donut glasses in Amsterdam. They made glasses, and how would you see the world if you saw the world through the lens of the donut? In Cornwall, they said, well, we're declaring a climate emergency. Now what? What are we going to be for? And they're using it to imagine the future of Cornwall. In Berlin, they started using it to reimagine the future of the city. Young people getting together for a weekend in, in Belgium. And here in the New York, creating a game. It thrills me to see people pick this tool up. So what we're creating is an online platform where anybody can come and share the resources that they're creating, tell us how they're doing it, and learn from each other so that we can co-create resources that we will give away for free to everybody to keep creating and co-creating. So I couldn't be more excited to see this idea going from an idea in a book actually into action. So I invite you to imagine putting your own life at this table and ask yourself, how does the way that I shop and travel and eat and invest and divest and protest and volunteer and talk to my family and friends, how do all of these phenomenal ways in which each one of us has influence, how do I help bring humanity into this space to make myself part of a 21st century legacy that we actually want to leave? So I'll leave you with the one donut that actually turns out to be good for us. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Can you stay for one question? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That'd yeah, be amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I'm going to tempt you back. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, one more time, Kate Rayworth. Thank you. Knockout. We've got... Um, uh, we have time for a, for a quick question. Is anyone, uh, would anyone like to reflect or ask a question, please? Put your hand up and I'll do my best not to hit you with a yes, a might. Here it comes. And anyone else out there? Just and you're really welcome to disagree. Yeah, please, sir. Hello? 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 We're on. Hello? Hello? Hi. Um, what's the plan for the lab going forward? Are, are you, um, I mean, is there a sort of a series of objectives that you're trying to achieve with the lab? Can you tell us a bit we, more about that? So the first thing we're doing is creating an online digital platform because we need to be able to contact all these people who've been bombarding me on Twitter, and I need a space where they can connect with me, but more importantly, with each other. So a platform where people can join with a profile and say, I'm a teacher in Kazakhstan, and I'm using the donut like this. I'm in New York, I've added this, and that we can co-create resources that we'll twice a year do a hackathon, get the best of all the ideas that everybody made, put them online, and then make them available to everybody. So we are trialing, for example, with the C40, We've made this um, four-lens portrait of a city. We're going to do it iteratively in these four cities that I mentioned, Portland, Philadelphia, Amsterdam, and Barcelona. Once we've done it four times, like, okay, this, this is good enough, this works. Then we're going to release it mm. so that everybody can use it. And, and will you be doing events, physical events? Uh, haven't, yes, maybe, but I don't want to make everybody fly all the time. We want to see how far we can get by collaborating online. And then we might have, once a year, a hackathon in one location and a hackathon in another location. Because I know that also something amazing and dynamic happens when people sit around the same table. That's why we held these workshops. When people get around a table and you make it a little bit of game, you might have seen we were playing stickers and lines, and we become more like children, and we become playful, and we learn to imagine again and, and take off the leash of, but that won't work and that can't happen. So yes, I hope we might do some physical events, but I'm trying to be climate smart about it. 
Now, Ken, it sounds incredibly inclusive. If you had to be super choosy, who would you most like to collaborate with? Who tops that list? Well, we're already well in with uh, cities. So the C40 network approached me and said, we want to use it. And I was like, are you kidding? I mean, we want to work with networks that have leverage, that if we work with you first, then you're connected to all these people who can use it. So the C40 is like a dream on that. And in a super connected room, give us a city which comes to your mind. If you say, if we could do something remarkable there, we'd be on to something. London. London, <laughs> funny you should say that, okay. Okay, well look, we are 100% behind you. Kate Rayworth, thank you so thank much you. for your time. Thank you. For more information about creating the future, please follow the links in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this talk and thank you for listening.